Can I rant for a sec? Please. Pay apps are way too public. What happened? Some rando hearted a payment from five months ago, and I realized people can see my entire history, who I'm paying, like full names. It's super weird. Yeah, it's weird. How are you paying your friends then? Apple Cash. It's all in messages. You can literally send cash like a text, and it stays between friends. Random people can't see it. Did you just pay me a dollar on Apple Cash? <laughs> Services are provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Terms apply. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart for a year, and what a year it has been. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Make Woke AF Daily your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, this is Paris Hilton. Trapped in Treatment is back, and this season we're taking on WASP, the worldwide association of specialty programs and schools. They held us in dog cages. They starved us. They beat us. It was trying to brand us. So we were going to become the McDonald's in treatment. Join my host as they unravel the story of the largest and most shocking organization in the history of the troubled teen industry. Listen to season two of Trapped in Treatment on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Ridiculous Crime is a production of iHeartRadio. Hey, Zaren. What's up, Elizabeth? Nothing much. You know it's ridiculous. Oh, man, I'm waiting to see you because I had something for you that I need some explaining. Okay. All right. So, Finland, the country... Nothing, a, yeah. nothing ridiculous about that. No. Totally reasonable. Right. But there's this town called Savinlina. You ever heard of this? Nope. They have something called the Mobile Phone Throwing Championship. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So contestants, who I hope to be one day, uh-huh. like, I'm going to go do this. Uh, <laughs> they are encouraged, and I quote, to choose the phone that best fits to his or her hand or looks the nicest. This is according to the official website for the sport. Okay. And then they are told that there are Quote, clearly two parties in this. Some believe that the heavier phones fly further than lighter ones, and others think just the opposite. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't have opinions about heavier or lighter. I just want to chuck a phone and be able to compete. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, that's for me. I mean, how many times do you drive when you're on your car? Like, I could totally fling this thing. <laughs> just no, just me? Think? Okay. Well. I don't know. I, I There's a part of me that thinks I would want that Nokia brick. Yeah. And, like, I think I could... Hurl that pretty far. Oh, I but could shop at that. Some of those big uh, smartphones, like the big Apple or like the other ones that are just like kind uh-huh. of like small iPad, uh-huh. you could use throw it like a frisbee. frisbee. I think you're gonna get too much surface area and it's gonna yeah. flail out. I think you want like either one of those like razors or like one of those bricks where oh, you're gonna the razor's you got good. mass holding together or else like something real slight. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, the uh, the idea is you want to throw it to if you're gonna really compete, three hundred and twenty yeah. feet. Is the yeah. record so far? Wow, that's serious. That's ninety-seven meters, or n- almost ninety-eight meters. That's... Yeah, so it's I'm like g- almost a football field. Am I correct in that? Yeah. So if you hear noise the next time you come to headquarters, mm-hmm. it's just me out back practicing. <laughs> practicing. So I'll have like a bucket of phones and just be hitting the fence. You, you and the boys. So bopping. that's what that is. In case you hear that, <laughs> okay. it's me and the boys bopping. <laughs> okay. That is ridiculous. Okay, I thought so. Uh, do you know what else is ridiculous? No. Baiting people into stealing your identity. Uh huh. And then being surprised when they do. Wait, (laughs) okay. This 
is Ridiculous Crime, a podcast about absurd and outrageous capers, heists, cons. It's always 99% murder-free and 100% ridiculous. Zarin. Elizabeth. I know you've posed as someone else before. No. But have you, have you ever had your, someone steal your identity? Not that I'm aware of. Okay. Um, I had a sort of identity theft, but not really. Okay. So years ago, I started getting emails from Instagram with links to reset my password, but I hadn't attempted to do such a thing. Mm -hmm. So this went on for a couple months and it stopped. Um, I feel like Instagram used to or maybe still does tell you where the attempted login was from. Uh, it sounds familiar. Right. So somehow I found out that the attempts were coming from Colorado. Okay. So that was weird. Um, every now and then I'd get email newsletters from politicians or car dealerships in Colorado. So I would just unsubscribe, move on. Mm -hmm. I like to keep a clean inbox. <laughs> so, <laughs> inbox zero, huh? Yeah. Fast forward to about two years ago, I started getting tons of emails about applications to various colleges in the mountain region, and then a few that were a little farther afield. Um, these were automated replies to requests for information from someone using my email address. Okay. They had to actively go sign up. I was getting like 50 a week. Huh. It's a lot. And it was annoying. So some of the emails were directed at parents of prospective students, which made me think that maybe someone's mom had like forgotten her email address okay. and it was mine. Or forgotten their child's email. Yeah. And that it was like theirs was deceptively close to mine or something. So whatever. The email stopped and I figured the kid got into college and, you know, congratulations Congrats. to them and their impending student debt. Um, I also, I got an email from an urgent care clinic in Denver confirming a COVID test. Nice. So I hope they didn't okay. get the vitties, but like, <laughs> we'll see. So then something super weird happened a couple months ago. Mm -hmm. um, I got an email congratulating me on listing my house for sale in Denver from a storage company. Okay. And it included the address of the supposed house. Oh, wow. So... I looked up the listing, and I emailed the listing agent, mm -hmm. special detective, <laughs> Yes, and um, I told him my story, and I asked him to contact the client for me, because I thought, once and for all, I have to tell this yeah. woman, your email address you, is yeah, not you my email address. You finally got a chance to connect. Right. And so I get an email from the other Elizabeth Dutton, <laughs> like an hour later, and it was wild. From the set of the TV show? Right. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Oh, that's a whole other story. <laughs> Um, she doesn't go by Elizabeth. I know, yeah. She never has. Oh, not the show. No, okay. No, no. <laughs> I'm like over here with Beth Dutton still. No, I'm sorry. No, no, no uh, what's it called? Yellowstone. Yellowstone, yeah. No. She she goes by her middle name and always has. Huh. So she doesn't have anything and in And it's not Clyde. No. <laughs> she doesn't have anything in Elizabeth Dutton, right? And our emails are nowhere close to each other. Huh. So her kids, like, they went to college around the time I was getting the emails, but they went back east. They didn't stay in the region. And one of her kids also drives the same make of car that I was getting oil change reminders from in Colorado, but they didn't buy it at the dealership, and they never took it to that dealership for service. Wait, what? It's weird. She and I are still stumped about it to this day. So now there's a third Elizabeth Dutton out there. We guess in Colorado, Who's maybe? got both of you but roped why, in. But why would it go to her, her address, her home address? was listed on the email to me well, okay, when she I listed have, her house. I have an idea for that. Yeah. That could have been automated. They, where it went with the Elizabeth Dutton address. Like, it could have been that the, the system itself yeah. kicked in the address, like an autocomplete. Mm -hmm. So I could see how they, they could go to the wrong address, but she'd have to be in the same system. So you'd have right. to have, so that system would be your two Duttons. I guess. Maybe. It's weird. I don't know. That's super weird. But and the fact weird. that they have the same car, like, all this that's stuff. That's the crazy and part. And we're sure she wasn't lying to you. 
Well, maybe. I mean, there's no reason for I her to lie her, to you. I asked I mean, her if people um, ask her if she's related to the Duttons on Yellowstone. Oh, you guys have that moment, the Dutton she, moment? No, because she doesn't go by Elizabeth. And I, you know. Oh, so they don't do the last name? Like, but, it actually has to be Elizabeth. They're like, I don't hear it yeah. otherwise. Yeah, I suppose. But okay. like, I think, have I said on, on here before about how people otherwise, ask me about it all the time and they think it's like real family? Like, are you yeah. related to the Duttons? Like, it, yeah, like it's a real actual yeah, like, family, no, not a fictional we family. Not, TV. We, we were not ranchers. And when by I first the way, met you, I asked you if you were related to Rock Dutton, the uh, actor, you know, from the, Charles S. Dutton. Yeah, from The Rock. Yeah. I was like, are you related to Rock Dutton? He's and you had explained brother. to me that Rock was the show and Charles Dutton was the actor. <laughs> and so I don't, I get it. You I know. know, it's difficult. Well, that's yeah. when I was also going by Rock. Yeah, that was really the My part email, that threw Rock me. Dutton at AOL.com. Yeah, I was like, this is just all kinds I of know. confusing. And with a Q, I was like, okay, Rock, <laughs> well, Rocky. Well, you know, Le Rock. <laughs> um, so anyway, she and I are stumped. Someone else is like stealing our identities, but not really. Sure. But there was no. Or borrowing them lightly. Right. Like so, but a there wasn't book. like traditional identity theft. No. You know, there was a prolific identity thief named Philip Cummings. Okay. Um, in 2004, he pleaded guilty to what was pretty much the largest identity theft case in the history of the United States. Hmm. Um, he worked for Teledata Communications in New York running credit checks. And can we stop for one second and talk about how bogus credit? scores and credit reports are. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's like something they invented and everyone was like, yeah, let's pretend like this is a real deal. The FICO score only goes back to like 1989. Yeah. Um, It sustains total economic inequality Mm -hmm. and it's a poor indicator of risk for something. It's inaccurate. Totally. Plus, people use it. It's a game you can play. I mean, it's it's not real. It's not like a, you know. People use it for things unrelated to credit, like mm-hmm. job applications, and you get punished for not having enough credit cards or not having yes. credit cards. I didn't have, I didn't use credit cards for a decade. I didn't have any credit, and yeah. so I didn't have a credit score. So I would go in places. They didn't have enough information to tabulate a credit yeah. score for me, so I couldn't do anything because they're like, it was like I was a five year old. I had just no credit. Well, and if you if too many people run a report, it affects the number. Oh, really? Yeah. I, didn't know that. Um, I say this as someone with near a near perfect credit score. I think yeah. it's garbage. Anyway. So this dude, he used his access to steal the passwords of more than 30,000 customers. Okay. And then he sold those to criminals. And the criminals, in turn, bled everyone dry. So, I like picturing him in, like, at a park trying to, like, sell them one at a time. <laughs> Lit- written like, on little scraps of, exactly. like, paper. So you got to check the a, list. Half a uh, post-it. All told, though, uh, he, they got about 50 to $100 million out of these 30,000 people. Wow. Yeah. He soaked them. Then there was Abraham Abdullah. Okay. He found um, sensitive information like addresses, date of birth, social security numbers, phone numbers for people like Oprah, Steven Spielberg, Warren Buffett. Hmm. And then he would submit change of address forms and have their mail sent to him. <laughs> and then that gave him access to stuff like credit cards and bank statements, right? And postcards. And he's like, oh, that's what Gail said. Um, I think that's why the post office uh, takes a little small credit card charge now, like if you do a change of address. Oh, I didn't yeah, know Yeah, I moved recently and like I had to do that and you have to give them a credit. I think it. They charge it and it charges back whatever. I so didn't pay attention. You, okay. Huh. But so that it's that's just a that you fill it identity. out online. Yeah. Hmm. Um, another good one is what happened to this guy, Cody Neep, in hmm. 2021. Okay. Uh, he had just closed down his hookah bar, tea room, and board game business. No. And it he, didn't work? No. <laughs> and he needed, he needed to a ride to be able to deliver for DoorDash and Grubhub. 
Okay. You know where this was? Where? Oddly enough, Colorado. Oh, interesting. Center of all identity. All theft. coming full circle. So he saw a car that he liked on Facebook Marketplace. As one does. <laughs> That's where you shop for cars. And he contacted the seller. Um, they met up. Cody took the car for a spin, and then they agreed on a price, $3,500. Okay. Cody paid cash. The seller hands over the title and the key. Seller takes off in an Uber. Cody drives his sweet little new-to-him Yaris home. Mm-hmm. Meep, <laughs> um, A week later, Cody goes to the DMV to register the car, and he's told, it's stolen. <laughs> Cody, your car's stolen. He's like, no, it's in the parking lot. The DMV told him to take the car. Not too quick, are you, Cody? <laughs> the DMV told him to take the car to the sheriff's office because maybe it was reported stolen a long time ago sure. and then recovered and they forgot to take the flag off the record. Cody goes to the sheriff's office. No luck. The car is actually stolen. Come to find out. Mm-hmm. The original owners had gone on vacation and they pulled the brain genius move of leaving the title and extra key in the glove box. Why would they need... I don't know. Does anyone And this do is that? just reported like, well, they, you know, that's what they did. No. Why would... That's the bis- biggest would, moronic move. <laughs> why not just tape it to the window? I mean, like the now, heck with it. I... This makes me wonder if the owners were in on it. That's just pure speculation. Wait, but, it really was a Toyota Yaris? Uh-huh. So like a, a $4,000 car. I'm not thinking much is going <laughs> into this one. <laughs> well, either way, Cody had to surrender the car and he's out $3,500. Yeah, well, you know. So what I'm saying is this. Be careful, Zarin. I will always. Be careful. Um, I keep an eye on my credit score and all that, but I don't subscribe to like a service to protect my identity. Sure. Do you? I didn't even know there was such a thing. Well, no, I'm kidding. I, I know there are such things. <laughs> you know, you've no, heard I of don't. LifeLock, right? That, yes, I'm aware of it. That brings us to the subject of today's episode, LifeLock. <laughs> <laughs> um, are you familiar with LifeLock? Uh, I think I've heard the ads or heard you say it. Just yeah, like just around repeatedly? the office, just going around. <laughs> LifeLock. <laughs> it's like Aflac, but yeah. less grading. Yeah. LifeLock. Um, they sell software that scans for identity theft, credit score activity, and use of personal information. Uh, it, the company was started in 2005 by Todd Davis and Robert Maynard. Mm. Are you writing this down? Yes. It was bought by Symantec in 2017 for $2.3 billion. Wow. But a lot happened before 2017. Okay. Um, it's now Norton LifeLock because it got bought again or spun off. I don't know Whatever, what. Yeah. Anyway. So at the start, Davis was the CEO and Maynard was the COO. Okay. The coup. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't know if you remember the ads from back in the day, but yes. Davis and Maynard, as well as their company spokesman, they they gave out their social security numbers because they were so sure that the product worked. What do you mean gave out? Like on their business cards? Like, here's yeah. my number? Oh, yeah. No. Like, they had it in the ads. It creates wait, all this buzz. Wait, wait, wait. They had their, their social security yes. number just on the Davis screen. Davis put his social security number on a flatbed truck that drove around. Uh-huh. Then they put it in TV and print ads. His social security <laughs> number. The ad said that LifeLock made the data, quote, useless to criminals. Uh-huh. He put his social security number on the website. Uh-huh. Right there on Beyonce's internet for all to see. <laughs> so, and we're talking about him. So I'm him. guessing this did not work out. Well, <laughs> and it was it was great. It worked. The end. Um, they had lots of celebrity spokesmen. Okay, Rush Limbaugh, uh-huh. Paul Harvey, uh-huh. Howard Stern. Really going for a certain audience. Montel Williams. Yep. It's a murderer's row of trustworthy guys. Yeah, really. I mean, could they not get Alex Trebek in there? But here's the thing. The celebrities didn't offer up their social security numbers. No. No. So the company charged $100 a year, or they'd give you a deal $10 a month. Okay. 
So you get a deal if you do pay in, in full for a year. That was back in 2007. To help the customers monitor their accounts with the three credit reporting bureaus. Um, it also offered a million-dollar insurance policy to cover losses if a customer was victim of identity theft. So by early 2007, LifeLock said it had only paid out losses three times in amounts far less than a million dollars. Okay. Right? By May of 2007, LifeLock claimed to have 150,000 customers, and they'd recently received $6 million in seed investments. Hmm. But a year later, they said they had a million customers. So this thing's just booming. Yeah. You know, with like the the internet's getting more and more sure. accessible to people and everyone's talking about identity theft and it becomes this hot button issue. Exactly. And it became an issue where people were worried about it. They were talking about it. So everyone's like, what can I do? I need to want something simple. Yeah. If this oh, is look, simple, they're going to do it. 10 bucks a month and they okay. can protect me. June 2007, Wired reported that Davis was the victim of identity theft. <laughs> so not to victim blame, but that's what you get, smearing your social security number all over the place. Now, a thief used his social security number to get a $500 loan from a check cashing company in Fort Worth, Texas. Wait, what? $500? 500 bucks. The thief also had Davis's wife's cell phone number. And okay. Davis only found out about this when the company called his wife to try and recover the unpaid debt. He was not alerted by LifeLock. <laughs> so a LifeLock spokesperson said that because the check cashing company didn't run a credit report on the Social Security number, the fraud alert was not revealed. So there's no way that LifeLock could have prevented it. They wouldn't have triggered the their system. Okay. Yeah. And, but no criminal charges were filed, though. I bet not. Why, right? Well, when we get back from this break, I'll tell you. All right. rant for a sec please pay apps are way too public what happened some rando hearted a payment from five months ago and i realized people can see my entire history who i'm paying like full names it's super weird yeah it's weird how are you paying your friends then apple cash it's all in messages you can literally send cash like a text and it stays between friends random people can't see it did you just pay me a dollar on Apple Cash? <laughs> Services are provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Terms apply. Hey guys, this is Paris Hilton. Trapped in Treatment is back, and this season we're taking on Wasp. They held us in dog cages. They starved us. They beat us. They burned us and subject us to really horrible, uh, cruel and unusual punishment. After my personal experience at Provo Canyon School, I was shocked to learn that a man named Robert Litchfield, a man who got his start at the school that I went to, would go on to create a multi-million dollar empire. He was trying to brand us, so we were going to become the McDonald's in treatment. The Worldwide Association of Specialty Programs and Schools. They prey on, you know, a parent's really natural and beautiful love for their children in a really, really, unfortunately, effective way. At this time in my life now, if someone presented this program to me, and not just because I've already experienced it, sham, scam, beware. Listen to season two of Trapped in Treatment on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everybody, welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of Black women unite in powerful conversations. I'm your host. 
Tiffany Cross. Tiffany Cross. I want you all to join me and be a part of sisterhood, friendship, wisdom, and laughter. In every episode, we gather a seasoned elder. But even with a child, there's no such thing as the wrong thing if you love them. Myself, as the middle generation, I don't feel like I have to get married at this big age in life, but it is a desire I have and something that I've navigated in dating. And a vibrant young soul for engaging intergenerational conversations. I'm very jealous of your generation (laughs) that didn't have to deal with Instagram and Tinder. This is Across Generations, where Black women's voices unite, and together, you know how we do, we create magic. magic. Listen to Across Generations podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, we're back. Hey, look at us. Hey. So Todd Davis, Uh the CEO of LifeLock, put his social security number all over ads for the company. It's everywhere. So he put on a pair of red boxers and went hanging out in a bullpen. He's like, how many bulls do we have here? (laughs) Exactly. Okay. Now, LifeLock was supposed to be so badass, though, that no one would be able to steal his identity and, I don't know, take out a loan for 500 bucks. But they did. The person who did it was caught. But no criminal charges were ever filed. Because that would have gotten press? Well, (laughs) why, you're saying? Before the Fort Worth police could finish their investigation, Mm -hmm. well, let me show you. Zarin, close your eyes. Oh, my eyes are closed. I want you to picture it. It's late summer 2007. You're a freelance cameraman in Fort Worth, Texas. (laughs) You get work here and there doing weddings and corporate shoots. You get a call from Todd Davis, CEO of LifeLock, the company that you keep seeing ads for. He wants to hire you for a project, and you're pretty excited. This could be your big break into commercial work. Davis is a little amped up, telling you that this is a very important project, and he needs someone tough and willing to go the extra mile. That's me. Someone with a good camera and some moxie. That's me, That's you, Zarin. You tell Davis that you're his man for this project, and you ask when and where. When and where? He tells you that he'll send a van to pick you up tomorrow morning. The next morning, you hear a car horn toot outside. You head out to the waiting van, and the man in the front seat identifies himself as Todd Davis. He tells you to hop in. You slide open the side door and climb inside. There's another man in the back who introduces himself as Mr. Davis's private investigator. The driver of the van pulls away from the curb and heads across town. You try and make small talk, but no one's biting. Davis just shuffles through papers in a manila folder on his lap. You drive through the city streets and into sleepy suburban neighborhoods. The van pulls up in front of a modest house. Okay, Davis says as he turns in his seat to look you in the eyes. When we get inside, I'll give you the signal and you start rolling. What's the signal, you ask? Uh, I'll point to you. Got it. (laughs) (laughs) You figure that this must be some sort of customer testimonial video. Uh You're pleased that the day is clear, so maybe you can, like, get nice outdoor shots later on. We'll see. Play Mm -hmm. it by ear. I'm looking around for There's no big check, so I think... (laughs) Right. So you, Davis, and the PI, and the driver... You all make your way up to the front door. Davis pounds on the door. The door creaks open. There stands a man looking back at you with wide eyes. Davis pushes his way in, and you all follow. This doesn't seem like a customer. (laughs) Testimonials, Aaron. (laughs) With the resident now sitting at his own kitchen table, Davis turns and gives you the signal. You start rolling. Todd Davis starts yelling. A lot. (laughs) He's yelling at the guy about some $500 loan he took out. He's hollering at the man, asking how he got some cell phone number. 
The private eye is yelling, telling the guy just to confess. You're starting to get uncomfortable. The yelling continues with Davis absolutely browbeating the guy about what you have deduced is identity theft. Uh -uh. Man, you think to yourself, this LifeLock is serious about protecting their customers. (laughs) He's personally going after the scammer. This is wild. The more details you hear, though, the more you realize that the one who got scammed was Todd Davis. (laughs) Davis pulls some papers from inside that folder and slams them onto the table. He tells the guy to sign the papers. It's a confession. If he doesn't, Davis tells him, the cops are going to come and arrest him. The man scans the papers and tries desperately to understand the situation. You now, as you should, feel like crap on the bottom of a shoe that you're involved in this whole thing. Davis continues to berate the guy as he starts to sign the confession. You get him, you get him signing the paper on film, and then you shut it down. You're hmm. like, that's it. Davis grabs the tape from your camera, triumphant. He takes the signed confession, and he heads to the van. As the van cruises down the road, you realize that you aren't heading towards your house. You pull into the parking lot of a police station, and Davis struts inside. You slide open the van door, and you walk over to a payphone and call a cab. You want nothing to do with any of this. So why didn't they file charges? The private eye was the one who found the suspect. Fort Worth PD, they were waiting on records from AT&T that would confirm the IP address that they had was linked to the suspect. Sergeant J.D. Moore of the Major Case Unit told Davis to sit tight. They get this guy. Davis is impatient. He went to the house and he taped that confession, only the suspect then told the police that he was totally coerced and the tape backed him up. Good job, Zarin. Yeah, I was worried. I mean, we are filming something we should not (laughs) be filming. This feels like I'm filming a crime. (laughs) Exactly. So the charges are dropped because Davis got his filthy mitts in it. Uh He defended the quality of their service through it all. He said, quote, it was not a failure on the part of LifeLock or the fraud alert system because neither were ever given the chance to succeed. Ah. The real problem is that there are companies operating which are allowed to issue these loans without validating an identity. (laughs) That is a problem. problem. He continued, the LifeLock system did what it has always claimed it would in support of any member and completely fixed the problems. I was not out any money and my credit score was not negatively impacted. To go one step further as proof that our system works, there have been at least 87 other attempts to use my information since I began providing my social security number two years ago, but none have been successful. None. Mm. Right? So Davis, he later goes on MSNBC, and he claims that the $500 phony loan was the only time that a thief had ever been successful in stealing his identity. Okay. Survey says, not not true. (laughs) In October of 2007, someone in Georgia opened an AT&T account in his name and ran up $2,390 $2,390 in charges. I love all these petty crimes that they're doing. Like, the guy's, like, doing this big, broad, yeah, come and get me. People are like, okay, $500, I will. Totally. No one's going big no. on any of this. I mean, maybe they figure that'll get flagged if they go too big on it. I don't know. I, I think you could get away with a Maserati or two. I guess. So, you really put your back into it. <laughs> or just, like, at least a luxury shopping spree. Yeah, get some watches exactly. in there. Exactly. Go on a test drive and go, hey, you might get not. I think I ran over something. Can you check the tire when you get <laughs> Gets out, zoom away. So this AT&T account. Call LifeLock. He only found out about it when it went to collections. Mm -hmm. LifeLock didn't catch it. No. Now, AT&T will run a social security number on that kind of stuff. Um, There was also a Verizon account in New York that Mm -hmm. had a $186 tab. Once again, they're like, I need a couple, I need a new phone and a cover. They're like, okay, LifeLock CEO, it's on you. It gets better. A Texas utility bill in his name for $122. What? 
people were paying their gas bills? It was a Credit One bank debt for $573. Oh, my God. Did anyone buy, like, a college school book? No, like, but here's the, these are all separate. These yeah, are not course. one person. Yeah. So multiple times now, people are successfully getting his identity, he, and then they're going, I'm going to go get some roll of stamps. Oh, and, no. uh, oh maybe, wait. Uh, he, he owed $312 to Swiss Colony. Uh-huh. Which is a gift basket company, <laughs> Swiss Colony. They bought three hundred and twelve dollars a gift basket. Hey, how much did he owe Pepperidge Farms? <laughs> there were there were credit accounts opened at USA Savings Bank and at Gap Clothing, <laughs> but they had no balance. <laughs> they didn't even get. They to didn't it. even get either. They didn't get to it, or the people were like, "Well, I'll just pay this one off." <laughs> I'll just do this myself. <laughs> so it's only seventeen. They won't give me a card, but now I can get the card. Great, <laughs> building my credit, guys. Oh no, it's not my social security number. Um. In all, there were 13 episodes of identity theft for old Todd Davis. Like, were between... people using it to like, get jobs? Were they doing, like, other stuff like that? I wonder if they were. were. Like, oh, yeah, here you go. Here's my social security <laughs> number. <laughs> exactly. Well, you know, think about it like a lot of undocumented workers. Yes, exactly. in order, Yeah, to provide it. So Todd's, he's just generating he's social security money there. all over the place. <laughs> Maybe that was his whole scam the whole time. He's like, <laughs> I'll put it out there. People will use it. I will reap I the will tax reap benefits. It. So it was for like three years, 2007 to 2010, 13 times Mm -hmm. they actually, you know, were successful. 13 times. Okay. 13 13 distinct different times. Unique. Okay. Exactly. 2010 was the year that the FTC came calling. Oh. So all those ads uh, claiming that LifeLock was so effective against identity theft that the CEO could go as far as putting his social security number out into the public. Those ads that said the company could protect against such things as, quote, ever happening to you, guaranteed. And that they work to stop identity theft before it happens. Well, that's false. It's been proven out it's false. 13 times. And putting that in an ad is against the law. Fraudulent. Yes. So the LA Times wrote, quote, alluding to Davis's traveling Social Security truck, then FTC Chair John Leibovitz declared that, quote, while LifeLock promised consumers complete protection against all types of identity theft, in truth, the protection it actually provided left enough holes that you could drive a truck through it. Ah. Truck and truck, you get Truck, I got it. Yeah, it was a good metaphor. Uh, so the FTC <laughs> said that at least until September of 2007, LifeLock had failed to provide, quote, reasonable and appropriate security to prevent unauthorized access to personal information used in its corporate network. That's why Wilfred Brimley wouldn't be involved with this. No, He's like, he would not. I wouldn't let people be involved with such a fly-by-night company. He wants to talk diabetes. Yeah, I'm a trustworthy pitch man. Exactly. Not one of these guys like David Strathern over there. Well, who's the one who does the reverse mortgage? Which one? Uh, there's a couple Garner reverse... does it, doesn't he? Does he? I don't know. No. Jim Garner? James Garner did reverse mortgages? I think he did. Oh, my God. Maybe I'm wrong. Dare you. Maybe it was a dream. Yes, I... I do have weird dreams. <laughs> um, so LifeLock was fined $12 million. Mm-hmm. $11 million of that was to refund customers who'd use the service and then provide consumer education. Oh, okay. Um, apparently, the actual settlement was for $35 million, <laughs> but the FTC agreed to change that amount based on LifeLock's liquid assets. Oh, so they didn't have much? Uh-uh. Huh. But think about that. Okay, so remember, they were bought by Symantec in 2017 for mm. $2.3 billion, mm-hmm. but they couldn't even do a fine, you know— uh, up to thirty-five million. I'm going to say that that is what the kids call sus. It's heavily sus. Yes, that yeah. is definitely the, like I am skeptical. I right. am. I am the skeptical. <laughs> so the company was ordered to be more truthful in its marketing and have better data security. 
Davis was ordered to pay $10,000 personally. You know what they should have done? They should have made them hire McAfee publicly. Oh, so it would be like a whole embarrassment. If you really want to find really them, wanna, you're like, you, really you got to have McAfee <laughs> saying that he's keeping you safe. Well, the FTC also had a separate settlement with Maynard, mm-hmm. the other guy, the, the coup. Yeah. <laughs> um, he'd stepped down from his position all the way back in 2007. Yeah. And he wasn't required to pay, but there were limitations on um, that he what he could do in terms of work in data security and identity theft. Oh, okay. So in 2015, the FTC claimed that LifeLock violated the terms of the settlement, uh, specifically the requirement that it better protect its consumers' personal data. (laughs) In October of 2015... primary job. (laughs) The one thing. uh, You had one job. In October of 2015, LifeLock and the FTC settled for $100 million, $68 million of which quote, may be used to redress fees paid to LifeLock by class action consumers who were allegedly injured by the same behavior alleged by the FTC. (laughs) So, and then here's what the LA Times wrote in 2015, quote, the value of many LifeLock services and safeguards start to evaporate when you give them some thought or read the fine print. Oh, yeah. Yeah. They're like, we don't don't do the very thing we say we do. It'd be like (laughs) if firefighters didn't show up at your house. You're like, well, you know. The insurance policy had all these exceptions of what could actually be covered. Uh It's like Florida Um, insurance companies. This is also from the LA Times. Quote, the guarantee chiefly covers the expenses of professionals such as lawyers, accountants, and investigators the company might hire to help you with your identity theft case. LifeLock will replace a handbag, purse, or wallet stolen as a result of identity theft. But how often does ID theft lead to the loss of a physical handbag? The guarantee might cover funds stolen from a bank account via identity fraud, but in many cases, the bank would do so itself. Unless you can't document that the loss is due to ID theft, in which case LifeLock might not cover it either. Yeah. So they're basically saying, we're kind of riding the bank's coattails, but you can pay us too. Exactly. We're not done here, though. I mentioned Robert Maynard in that FTC Uh settlement. The coup, right? Yeah. He has a whole other story. Oh, really? Um, When we get back from this break, I'm going to tell you about the mysterious Mr. Maynard. All right. Hey, guys, this is Paris Hilton. Trapped in Treatment is back, and this season we're taking on Wasp. They held us in dog cages. They starved us. They beat us. They burned us and subject us to really horrible, uh, cruel, and unusual punishment. After my personal experience at Provo Canyon School, I was shocked to learn that a man named Robert Litchfield, a man who got his start at the school that I went to, would go on to create a multi-million dollar empire. He was trying to brand us. So we were going to become the McDonald's in treatment. The Worldwide Association of Specialty Programs and Schools. They prey on, you know, a parent's really natural and beautiful love for their children in a really, really, unfortunately, effective way. At this time in my life now, if someone presented this program to me, and not just because I've already experienced it, Sham, scam, beware. Listen to season two of Trapped in Treatment on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everybody, welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of Black women unite in powerful conversations. I'm your host. 
Tiffany Cross. Tiffany Cross. I want you all to join me and be a part of sisterhood, friendship, wisdom, and laughter. In every episode, we gather a seasoned elder. But even with a child, there's no such thing as the wrong thing if you love them. Myself, as the middle generation, I don't feel like I have to get married at this big age in life, but it is a desire I have and something that I've navigated in dating. And a vibrant young soul for engaging intergenerational conversations. I'm very jealous of your generation (laughs) that didn't have to deal with Instagram and Tinder. This is Across Generations, where Black women's voices unite, and together, you know how we do, we create magic. magic. Listen to Across Generations podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We started talking about this incident. Drugs and uh, officials cover up. (laughs) You couldn't believe it. From iHeart Podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. A story about money, power, and corruption. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing. Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. There's no way that that guy's a doctor. I'm Paul Pringle, and I'm an investigative reporter for the LA Times. This is the story of an investigation that starts in a hotel room in Pasadena, California, and reaches all the way to the top of two of the most powerful institutions in the city of Los Angeles. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. This is Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption. We're always going to have predators. It's the good people who stand by and do nothing that allow them to flourish. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, Zaren. What's up, Elizabeth? Welcome to my crime dojo. <laughs> it's nice. It's kind of steamy in here. I, know, I really like the warm. incense. I like what you've done with the carpeting. Thank you. Is that shag? Mm-hmm. Hey, by the way, yeah. every time you say coup, I keep thinking of Boots Riley and the band, the coup. So I'm like, that is not at all what he you should think about. He has a new about. movie coming out. Really? It's really good. Huh. Yeah. Uh, anyway, crime dojo, here we are. Yeah. So I told you that Robert Maynard started LifeLock with Todd Davis and yeah. acted as the coup. Uh-huh. <laughs> Boots Riley. <laughs> Boots Riley. Uh, before that, in the early 90s, Maynard founded a company called the National Credit Foundation, uh, Incorporated. These names are always like intended for you not to be able to parse, parse them out, know uh-huh. what they are. Or Sounds like, like a million other things. Exactly. It's like, yeah, you know, I'm over here with the others. <laughs> so it was a credit repair business, as they say. So only a few months in, it was investigated by state and federal authorities who were cracking down on so-called credit repair companies. Mm-hmm. Uh, for one, it was not actually a foundation, which implies nonprofit status. Um, and it could also not actually fulfill its claim of helping, quote, anyone legally obtain good credit. <laughs> Can't do it. So um, and it had not followed state law, um, filing various like ne- necessary notifications and such. In 1996, the FTC charged National Credit Foundation Incorporated with misleading customers when it claimed it could erase bad credit caused by bankruptcy filings. Okay. Uh, it also accused Maynard and other executives of 
making unauthorized withdrawals from various customer checking and debit accounts. Wait, from the customer's uh-huh. accounts? Not from, like, yeah. the actual company's right. accounts. So they're not, like, oh, dipping in most, the company. Most of the withdrawals were around, like, $300 each. So they're doing the same That's thing. That's ATM money right there. Yes. That's, like, the cap on a lot of ATM accounts. They're doing the same thing as the as the bad criminals they with the $500 are... to pay the gas bill. They're <laughs> the like, oh. I'll use this to pay some parking tickets. So Maynard settled Uh without admitting any wrongdoing and without being required to pay redress. Uh Uh, Because he wears a tie? I guess. What's the deal here? Well, as part of the settlement, he agreed to be barred from, quote, advertising, promoting, offering for sale, selling, performing, or distributing any product or service relating to credit improvement services. Now, wait a minute. This breaks my steel big, steel little argument about America. <laughs> this is more like steel little, but wear a tie wear or a, a tie. suit or some shoes but that need like, polish. He has that, that he's barred from that, right? But then yeah. how could he work at LifeLock? Because it offered pre- credit protection, not credit improvement. Oh, Lord. So he was very careful with the language there. <sighs> so Maynard, he had a company called DotSafe for a while in Phoenix that of folded in 2001. Course, I have no idea what yes, they did. why not? In 2003. They're replaced by SafeDot. <laughs> SafeDot repair. In 2003, <laughs> he spent 12 days in jail uh-huh. for defrauding on a $16,000 loan from the Mirage Casino in Las Vegas. Oh, of course. Nice. He later used this story to say that um, that's what inspired him to start LifeLock. <laughs> because he claimed that actually his identity had been stolen and that someone had illegally taken out the loan in his name. <laughs> And he said, you know what? I was not even in Vegas when the loan was made. Um, and one of the men who stole his identity and the money is now in jail for an unrelated murder. Right? He, like, so I'm going to amp this one up a little He's bit. He's totally amping it up. This needs so, a little zhuzh. However, the Phoenix New Times revealed that that was not accurate. No. The Mirage had a copy of Maynard's Arizona driver's license <laughs> on file attached to the casino marker. They had a picture of him signing like, it. They had if, his. If you think that. Getting a credit card is hard. Like, those casinos oh, yeah. don't let a penny no. slip through their fingers. Like, no. they are, yeah, they're and not going to. They love documentation. A mm-hmm. casino, if you're going to do money exchanges, they're like, okay, here's the time, here's right. the date, here's what you were wearing. Right. Here's- so, um, Maynard, the reason why he avoided criminal charges it was because in Nevada, has a program that gives people a second chance to pay their debts. Huh. So when he got busted on he's like, all right, fine, I'll pay it. Um, according to the Clark County DA's office, where uh-huh. you know Las Vegas is located, uh-huh. Maynard had never filed a police report for identity theft, which would have been standard practice if that had actually happened. Um, he goes on to found LifeLock in 2005. You know what else happened in 2005? I do not. American Express sued Maynard's father. Robert Maynard Sr., mm-hmm. a Phoenix area eye doctor, for 154000 in unpaid bills. Whoa. Yeah. Was he running his practice with his card? Well, Maynard Sr. denied the claim and said he never ordered the card. Oh, of course. It was and identity it was theft. Rumored, it was rumored that Maynard Jr. may have stolen his own father's identity to get no. the card. <laughs> so, and that's what inspired me to protect <laughs> others from identity theft. Well, I'm like, well, wait a second. Doesn't his, He didn't give a comp subscription to LifeLock to his dad. Um, so when Amex looked into the issue, it found that someone with Maynard Sr.'s details had ordered the card, but that the bills went to a company called NetShield. And NetShield's address was in Phoenix, and it happened to be the same address as Maynard Jr.'s then-company, DotSafe. No, no, I am shocked. Yeah. Maynard Sr. eventually settled with Amex. Um, when asked by the New Times in 2007 if his son had stolen his identity, Dr. Maynard said, quote, I can't disagree with that. Wow. Yeah. 
And Whoa, at that that's time, some desert breeziness. Well, at that time, father and son hadn't spoken for two years. I was guessing this. Yeah. Just on that tone. I know. However, in 2009, when asked about it again, Maynard Sr. said that actually he and his son had opened the card together. So you got to protect your kids. Or the, or the son was now making good money, and he was like, look, I've changed my story. <laughs> I think, well, you'll see. I think that he his, his father softened up. Oh, okay, that's good. 2005 was a big year, mm-hmm. right? It was also the year that Maynard Jr. declared bankruptcy. Ah. Uh, among the debts was $170,000 owed to Amex on his own card. Okay. Um, but Maynard Sr. was listed as a co-debtor. He also listed $10,000 owed to a former girlfriend, mm-hmm. $24,000 to his children's private school, and various debts to other friends, business partners, credit card companies, the Phoenix Library. He said that he only had 20 bucks in cash and $15 in the bank uh-huh. at the time of his bankruptcy. So remember, 2005 was the year that LifeLock started offering its services to the public. Oh, it was yeah. a big year. There's oh, a lot huge. going on. Big one for Maynard. Maynard left the company in 2007, uh-huh. remember? Yeah, I remember a member. Uh, why did he leave? Uh, his dad? Well, no. He resigned following a Phoenix New Phoenix New Times just on the is case. just doing a bang up job here. The, they wrote an article um, that uncovered previous business and financial improprieties. Uh, he remained a ten percent shareholder and a private marketing consultant to the company, um, and then he cashed out his shares and he made millions on it. Hmm. Uh, after leaving LifeLock, Maynard moved to Hawaii in two thousand eight. He started a company called Kandu Island, K-A-N-D-O-O. Okay. Um, it's an ocean adventure business, Aaron. And they <laughs> offered sailing, jet skiing, scuba diving, parasailing, other water sports for tourists. So he's a cruise director without a cruise. <laughs> well, <laughs> the company launched in August of 2009 uh-huh. and for two weeks took customers out on a catamaran that it had outfitted. Um, but it couldn't make its insurance premium payments and then it went under. Okay. And the employee's last paychecks bounced. <laughs> oh, man. How much How much did Maynard spend on this business? Uh, $15? Well, how much did he have in his bank account? <laughs> <laughs> he spent $9 million. What? On this business. Wow. How? I, I don't know. Where did the money go? Catamarans. A catamaran is not that expensive. He had a standing army of catamarans. Was he buying just like advertising? What was it? Okay, whatever. There's a lot of banana boat uh, sunblock going on Seriously. There. Um, in 2013, Maynard and his wife declared bankruptcy. Again, of course. List, Why not? He, had a, he said his debt was between 10 and $50 million. Somewhere in there. I don't know. Well, I think it's on the bankruptcy oh, the scale, uh, sliding scale. schedule where you get to you check off. Oh, um, okay. So this included the boat companies and the lenders for Candu Island. Mm. Um, Maynard sounds pretty out there. Yeah, and no one, no one, not even he, pointed to any condition that could have caused this behavior until 2019. Uh, Maynard gave an interview, and he said that the unpaid casino debt had stemmed from a gambling spree he went on after an unsuccessful, quote, electroconvulsive therapy to treat his depression. Wait, like electric shock he therapy? Said, yeah, he had ECT. Like, yeah, like, um, he says it gave him manic spells and memory loss. Wow. Um, he said, quote, one of the primary side effects of ECT is something called retrograde amnesia, basically short-term memory loss of events leading up to and during treatment. I went to Las Vegas and took out a marker from the Mirage, and I did not pay it back. Because I was in treatment at the time, I have no memory of this episode. When I was arrested, I thought my identity had been stolen, which had happened to me before. I'm now convinced that I did it. I paid the marker and all charges were dropped. I don't know about I that. Know. I have a—it I have a, a, doesn't matter, but someone in my life who, they had electroshock therapy, and 
they don't remember. I know exactly the years I was in mm-hmm. their life at the time. They don't remember much of that time except for some memories that I'm in. And they tell me to help them with their memory. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't work like he's describing. Yeah. Not at all. It's not like, oh, I have this ambient memory. It's like, <laughs> I can't remember what I did yesterday when I got all that money. Mm-hmm. It's not like that. Well, like, I won't speculate on anyone's mental state, particularly because I believe we're all hanging on by a thread and yeah, one click I'm away from losing it. Maybe that. that's just me. Um, I've dealt. I've had, I've dealt with depression and anxiety. And, you know, that what's really exhausting about it, keeping other people from knowing. That's oh, like yeah. the most exhausting part. So I buy that he was having manic episodes. I'm with such. that. Yeah, I'm not questioning yeah, him. But, the, but the, where he's extending it is where I question yeah, it. He's and, doing. Yeah. Well, in August 2020, Maynard self-published a book called One F***ed Up Dude, My Continuing Journey from F***ed to Unf***ed. Wow. Which, among other things, discusses his struggles with mental illness. Okay. So here's the synopsis for the book. Uh, it may not look like it at first glance, but I am one f***ed up dude. <laughs> I've started multiple businesses. Two have made billions. That's in all caps. I have made two multi-million dollar fortunes. I am a Marine. I made it through college in two years, top of my class. I'm bipolar. Although it's difficult, it's also my secret weapon because I think differently than most people. I'm a best-selling author and popular speaker. My kids and grandkids are healthy. I'm loved by a woman whose grace borders on holiness. I have everything. Sounds great, right? There's more. I lie as easily as I breathe. Those fortunes I made blew them both. I ended up on food stamps and Medicaid between them. I've gone bankrupt three times. I've gone through three marriages. I self-destruct on a regular basis. People love me. The more they love me, the more I hurt them. I am a victim and a survivor of the worst kinds of abuse. And now I am an abuser. I have many quote-unquote friends. Not one of them truly knows me. I have nothing. When I started this book in January of 2020, this is where I was. My most recent business is being sold for parts and my reputation is ruined. I'm about to be crucified for my failure in the local tabloid. I drive a $100,000 car. I live in a $5,000 per month apartment. I have $3.47 in my checking account. I've just spent weeks in psychiatric hospitals because I was suicidal. I can bench press 30 pounds. After five minutes of aerobics, I'm totally gassed. I just learned that I have cluster B personality disorder. Never heard of it? Me neither. It's bad. But it was the key. See what I mean? Totally f***ed up. I decided that at 57, it was time to start getting un Want to know more? Read the book. This is to sell a book. This is to sell All a book. All of that was an advertisement that makes me want to spend my money on something. Uh-huh. That was one of the most, like, amazingly honest. Tell me a book was self-published without <laughs> telling me a book was self-published. Wow. I mean, like, it, yeah. it, it vacillated between, like, the Stuart Smalley, I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, uh-huh. and doggone it, people like me. And then if you saw the other side of the mirror, it's like, and also you have that $3 in your right. bank account. And you're like, whoa, whoa. You know, I have a number of people in my life, close friends and family, who are bipolar. Oh, same. And I have to say, this reads very much like some something that they would write. hundred percent on a on a manic 100%. trip. Um, so I wish him the best. Yeah, I'm, I totally I'm wish for him, him the best. Um, I you know his illness may have driven his actions, but that doesn't make them any less ridiculous. And no. that's you know yeah. so. Um, and I feel like he would agree. I think so. He kind he, of just he knows, said he that. Says, he like, just basically said, "I some, agree, Elizabeth." It is ridiculous. So, Zaren, what's your ridiculous takeaway? 
wow, that LifeLock is exactly what I thought it was. <laughs> and like, I don't like to be right about these things, but I'm like, that that's not something I need in my life. Exactly. And then I was like, no, it's not something anyone needs in their life. No, you've got your life on lock. <laughs> <laughs> What's your ridiculous takeaway a little bit? Again, I think that stuff like LifeLock, it preys on our fear of, I mean, people who have their identity stolen, it's such a nightmare to of course, get yeah. all of that unraveled and to prove up that, no, those credit cards yes. weren't yours mm-hmm. and all of the kind of stuff. And because we were saying, like, your credit score is so tied to so many things that mm-hmm. if it gets damaged, then it ruins all sorts of other things sure. in your life. Um, I think, though, you know, the other thing are like um, malware protection. Sure. Like, uh-huh. you know, I won't name names on any of those companies, but yeah. the ones, you know, you, to get. Keep your computer safe. Yeah. Those are a total racket. Like mm-hmm. I had one for a while that when it expires, it like locks out all your computer and it fights with other programs. Yeah. So it's just, it's a waste of time. That's and a waste extortion. Of time. Like if a mafia Basically. member did that, that would be called Basically. extortion. If they came in and said they got a nice business yeah. here, it'd yeah. be a shame anything happened to it. Nice and computer trying to here, Elizabeth. cancel that kind of stuff is insane. So, you know, we, we all have talked many times on this show about um, fear mm-hmm. and how that drives people's motivations. And you can make anyone do anything, it's basically, a, yeah, it's a great if you motivator. keep them afraid. Yeah. So, you know, we can sign up for all of these supposed consumer protection things out of fear. You don't want your computer hacked. You mm-hmm. don't want, you know, your identity stolen. But it's a racket in and of itself. And it, Who's it, protecting you from lifelong? Exactly. Because they're out there dipping into people's bank accounts, getting yeah. that $300. Not, and I'm not saying this about current Norton Lifelock and casting aspersions. I'm just, you know. Yes, we all know what you're Please saying. Please don't sue me, Norton Lifelock. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that was a very yeah, interesting so because, like, uh, you know, I don't do anything in this world. I know nothing about right. this world. So it's fascinating to know I'm glad that I don't know anything about this You're world. You're pretty close to off the grid, I'd say. Yeah, I'm trying. <laughs> That's all I have. Uh, you can find us online at Ridiculous Crime on both Twitter for the talk and Instagram for the gawkin. Email us if you want at ridiculouscrime at gmail.com. Download the iHeart app. Leave us a talk back. Sing me a little song. And then download the iHeart hat. I dare you. I dare you to uh, download the iHeart hat and wear it proudly. Uh, Tune in next time. Ridiculous Crime is hosted by Elizabeth Dutton and Zaren Burnett, produced and edited by Dave Couston, whose social security number is 666-423549. Research is by FTC Special Investigator Marissa Brown and Credit Approval Supervisor Andrea Song Sharpentier. The theme song is by Thomas, sure, that's my credit card, Lee and Travis, uh, yeah, that's my home address, Dutton. Executive producers are Swiss Colony salesman Ben Bolin and Noel Brown. Ridiculous Crime. Say it one more time. Ridiculous Crime. Ridiculous Crime is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart for a year, and what a year it has been. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Make Woke AF Daily your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, this is Paris Hilton. Trapped in Treatment is back, and this season we're taking on WASP, the worldwide association of specialty programs and schools. They held us in dog cages. They starved us. They beat us. 
was trying to brand us. We were going to become the McDonald's of kid treatment. Join my host as they unravel the story of the largest and most shocking organization in the history of the troubled teen industry. Listen to season two of Trapped in Treatment on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you ask two people the same seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including Courtney Cox, Rob Delaney, Liz Fair, and many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers.